Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've hooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Julie Alvarenga. Julie, you may recognize because he was on Trust Me, I'm Sick. He is a law student and an HIV activist. He lives with HIV and works in healthcare and human advocacy, and he's going to talk to us all about that. Uh, So, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. You're so kind to ask. I'm so excited to have you on. <laughs> same here. Same here. I really love your energy and um, really excited to, to share space. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I love your energy as well. We've been saying that like we had a little chat on the phone before we were able to record this interview and we were like, oh, I like that person. So we got along <laughs> very well. <laughs> so I would love to start at the beginning of your story um, because your HIV activism has so much to do with the work you're doing now. And I would love for you totally. to talk to us about how you first got your diagnosis and what steps you've taken to control your health since then. Yes, totally. So um, I remember when I found out about my status, it was kind of like a scary time because I had just moved to San Francisco for a new job. And so when I found out about it, I, um, I was kind of like, thankfully, like I, I, I went to school up in the Bay and I had friends that still stuck around, but I definitely, um, it was kind of like, it just was very abrupt the, the way I got the news and everything. And um, thankfully I had a really great case manager who linked me to HIV treatment really quickly. And that helped me become undetectable within a month. And wow. so- yeah, it was one of those things where I just, I, um, I, I, I because I, I do get tested frequently for like STIs and everything, like every three months, I was able to catch it at such an early on stage where the treatment worked so effectively that I became undetectable within the month. Mm, that's and, amazing. Um, and then slowly after that, it was more about me coming to terms with my status, what that looked like for me, what, mm-hmm. what can I do to prevent 
um, to, to prevent things and stuff. And then what I realized was that um, writing was such a healing process for me. Mm-hmm. And um, a year, a year later, after really come, you know, a, 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 adjusting and understanding my status, I began to write for this um, public health platform called thebody.com, which we know well. Yes. Awesome. Have you read anything from the body? Yes, I love it. And actually, we've interviewed Charles Sanchez as well. Um, that is I think amazing. We mentioned that when we talked. Yeah, because I know you're friendly with him. Oh, Charles is just sweetheart. I love them. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I, I'm sure. I think Charles has been writing for the body longer than I have. And um, I remember um, just writing for them and really getting acclimated with a lot of folks that are part of the HIV advocacy world. And I mean, literally folks from like different parts of, of, of the country, um, places like Puerto Rico, where I, I really met some wonderful people out there who are doing advocacy work post Maria and even before mm-hmm. then. And so you, you really see how HIV is such a, such a big concern in different, different conversations and how you get to see the bigger picture and all this. Yeah, I love the idea that, you know, you discovered that writing was healing for you and that you were able to channel a lot of your own processing into that work, which, you know, sort of it automatically helps other people because they have access to your thoughts and and what you're sharing. Um, So it's pretty amazing to me that you were diagnosed and made undetectable within a month. I mean, that's kind of an unusual story for us to hear. And I'm wondering you know, what the emotional journey was like for you too. It sounds like obviously there was some processing involved, but you sound very much like you're on the other side of that right now. And you mentioned, you know, your networks of friends who were in the Bay Area, you know, was it a shock when you were diagnosed and how did you go through the process emotionally? Was there mental health support there for you through your caseworker as well? Yes. So I I definitely um, was trying to find like ways for me to, um, you know, also just heal mentally and sort of be in a place where I can, um, I, I can um, be um, holistically better, right? Because mm. I was very grateful for my for my my treatment. I was very grateful for my health, but I also knew that like my mental health was really important. So how can I come to to a point where I could um, I could like come, you know, fully fully like grasp the situation and be in a better headspace and um i found that you know definitely like taking care of myself working out you know um eating right having mm-hmm. a solid um support system was all part of the process and then a year later it was the advocacy part that really just got me more excited also to do this work and and realize you know what there's nothing to be ashamed about these are processes that in, in, in our healthcare system and in, in, in stigma and everything mm-hmm. that still needs to be addressed. And, you know, and prior to this, I was, I was doing already a lot of work around immigration and LGBT family acceptance. And so this is something that I, that I saw as an opportunity to also engage with. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, because I know you've been working with the CDC on HIV awareness campaigns, too. So I'm wondering, you know, it sounds like you had a support system through your caseworker. Things were really sort of set up for you to succeed. And I'm wondering whether you found that you needed a personal advocate along that journey to your health. Was that your caseworker? Were you having to step up in new ways? How has that impacted your relationship, not only with, you know, your friends and family who've supported you, but also with yourself as you've stepped into that advocacy role? So, yeah, I definitely feel that my case manager was 
such a great support system because he then linked me to this case study with the, with UCSF mm -hmm. that sort of allowed me to also understand the HIV virus more. And I mm -hmm. felt that by understanding it, by seeing it drawn out, like I, I can't, I will never forget this amazing doctor. She literally just started to draw out the the virus and, and how it kind of comes into our bodies and really just gave me like a crash course on, on where HIV is in me. And that really helped me get a lot of like um, reassurance that things are going to be great, that I have amazing people on my team. And then in the Bay, well, some of my best friends are still out there from like school um, from undergrad. And so they just decided to stay in, in, the, in the Bay area. And so we we connected again. I told them what I was going through. And I still remember that night where like I told my friend Hassini, who's one of my best friends. And we just literally were just like, you know what, you're not alone. We're going to handle, we're going to handle this together. And it, that literally was how it, it was ever since. Um, mm. And, and so it's just, it's just a beautiful process because this is like chosen family, you know, like people yes. that are, that are with you and, 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 and you, you don't have to feel alone. Well, especially because this is a, a diagnosis as well that's so often stigmatized. And the fact that you had a support system who seems not to have judged you at all and have stood beside you this whole time, right? Totally, right? Yeah, right through. Even um, uh, another friend of mine that I've known since high school, her name's Marcy, who was also living in the Bay. She's still out there herself. And so, yeah, like friends that, that you, you've made these connections for so long um, uh, have, have, were, were present during this time when I needed them most. And, you know, even romantically, like later down the road, um, a year later, I should say, um, I was definitely dating and getting to know guys and stuff. And it was just a beautiful process, too, because um, they were very supportive. And they were like, you know what, I'm really happy that you feel comfortable in your skin, because that's what matters the most, they would say. Mm -hmm. And for me, personally, I have no issue if you're HIV positive or not. So it was a very great, I got some very great feedback and, and, and energy from from even romantic relationships. It's really amazing. What about how it's impacted your relationship to yourself as you've also had to sort of stand up and as you've been sharing with others, it sounds like because you were met with a positive response and acceptance that in many ways you stepped naturally into this advocacy role for yourself and have sort of gained some self-confidence from this diagnosis too in many ways, right? Right. I feel that like it, ha it, it clicked very fast, like the advocacy part. And then um, I think you're right because it was such a positive outcome because of just I'm the first few days were definitely like me crying and stuff but then afterwards sure. I realized you know what there are people out here who care about me there are professionals out here who are amazing at what they're doing and they're reassuring me everything's okay and it didn't really hit me in that moment like it does now how being unde undetectable means that I cannot transmit the virus to anyone mm. and I I never really thought about it like that back then until, you know, in, in, until now. So I'm just thinking like, whoa, like they really, they were being sensitive with me. They knew that what I was going through felt like for me, it was the end of the world at that moment. But I think what they were trying to show me with time was that you're a very healthy person, Giuliani, and you're taking your medicine and you're undetectable and you cannot transmit the virus to anyone. You're a healthy person. And that's what you also need to understand that you are here advocating for yourself it's the one you're the one that's doing it so i felt that i had the agency to continue that and that's really what i want other people out there to feel as well who, who may be going through something similar that they should never feel shame they should never feel like they're not they're not um 
advocating for their health that they don't have agency because in reality they do and mm. and in so many ways and so I, i'm just very lucky that i got to experience such a positive outlook in all this and i hope to continue sharing that to others i think that's so beautifully said i mean it's interesting too because something that has come up uh in the conversations i've had with people who are living with hiv is that there's a responsibility that goes both ways in terms of anyone who you're having sexual contact with, right? Like it's not just your responsibility to share your status with other people, but it's also their responsibility to take care of their own sexual health. So while you're undetectable, they also need to be making sure they're taking care of themselves, whether that's, you know, using protection or taking prep or something like that and making sure that communication is a really big part of any kind of encounter, right? That's well said. Yeah, it totally. I, I definitely, um, like to have open communications with with lovers and let them know and then just all all of us just share and, and, and everything on the table and um and one of the things that i'm doing out here now that i'm in law school in new orleans is addressing some of the hiv laws out here in louisiana because unfortunately even with communication and everything you people can still run the risk of being put in a precarious mm. situation where sure. Um, the law may come for them in a way that that's that's sort of stigmatizing their health. And so, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm really grateful to be in New Orleans for law school. It's a beautiful city. There's so much history, so much culture. And at the same time, there's there's a lot of work that 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 needs to be done around HIV and, and to be out here to, and to share space with some incredible advocates like Mandisa Moore, for example, someone that I truly admire. She's a, a black feminist attorney, went to LSU, and now she's like sort of one of my mentors in a way doing this HIV work as well as um, addressing, you know, racial disparities in health care and in, in um, police brutalities as well. And so learning from her has been wonderful. She has also written for The Body and I was introduced to her by my editor at The Body as well because they have years of knowing each other. And so you realize there's so many amazing people out here in New Orleans, in in the Gulf South that are doing great work. And I I just feel really grateful to be part of like their family in this advocacy world. It's so beautiful. It sounds like there's so much acceptance among advocates as well, which is really promising, isn't it? And I, I wonder what a typical day is like for you. I mean, you mentioned you're living in New Orleans, you're in law school. I mean, this is a lot of work. And I'm wondering how you're balancing the demands of work and life as you manage potential flares and, and make sure that you stay undetectable. I know you've mentioned healthy eating and exercise and things like that, but wondering how you reconnect to yourself and make sure that you're taking care of yourself in the midst of the chaos of law school. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm with one of my really good friends, Swad, right now, and we are passing through the French Quarter in her car. And we were just thinking, like, what can we do? We have to study later today, but we also want to make it fun. And so we're always looking for ways to, like, really get... And, and also, she's just a great inspiration for me because she's so passionate about her work. So being in law school with people who are like-minded and have that passion and that fire is what motivates me, even if I'm having an off day. You know, like, it's it's their, their, their um, inspiration that also carries me through it. And so those are some of the ways that I'm also keeping myself healthy and, 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 and strong, you know, and, and that's kind of like when, what my everyday looks like uh, as a law student is I go to school right now we're doing it everything through school I call it zoom school of law because that's kind of what it is <laughs> yeah it is it's just a, it's giving you a taste of your future in zoom meetings anyway <laughs> zoom meetings right it's so real but but, it, but it's wonderful <laughs> at the same time because we, we um we get to link up you know and we have great communication about like 
about where we've been and just making sure that we're all staying healthy, our families and friends, because, you know, COVID is such a serious thing right now. And so, and then talking about how um, people with compromised immune systems can be affected by this is also really important as well as other chronic illnesses. And so, um, yeah, we, we definitely study together at the library. Uh, we, we are mindful of like, the space right now we're hoping for the best we're hoping this clears up soon but my everyday is looks like you know running I like biking I like going through the bayou which is one of the waterfronts from the or like one of the creeks the artificial creeks that comes through the the, the lake um like Pontchartrain I believe it is I, I hope I'm not butchering it but <laughs> <laughs> it sounds right to me but then I'm not from New Orleans so <laughs> <laughs> and then you know the French Quarter is just beautiful like people can just walk here for hours and just get lost mm. in, in, in the magic really and so um so yeah I, I mean I'm, I'm trying I try to live my, my normal life you know like I'm trying to do the best that I can be a law student be be a friend be a, a brother a son and 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 continue to to do the work that I, that inspires me you know because I, I love to do this work I love these talks like with you and I like this is just amazing I love to meet other incredible people like yourself who are mm. who are putting that message out there around public health yeah, and absolutely. how important it is for for folks who may be more ableist to be mindful of that totally yeah. yeah I'm so glad you bring that up especially during these COVID times and it sounds like so much of your everyday is not just about being fed by your environment but also by your relationships which are so important to you and I, I'm wondering whether you've ever been in a position living with an invisible diagnosis and undetectable as well where you've been confronted and forced to justify or validate the existence of your diagnosis to people who just didn't understand it because they couldn't see it have you ever found yourself in that kind of position I found myself like that sometimes with online applications. People will sometimes say something that's just nasty or, or ignorant. And to me, it doesn't really register that much because I personally feel that I'm very well read in the work that I do. I'm, I'm a writer. I, I, I share a lot of like our content on the body. So that, that allows me to explore the message from other writers. And I think that like when someone wants to just make a comment like that with their soundbite, I'm just thinking this person really doesn't know what they're talking about. And I, and I just feel sorry for them. And I hope that they eventually educate themselves because sometimes, you know, it takes, a, 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 it takes an experience to really make us want to learn more. And so I don't want anyone to have to have like a, a bad experience when, when having to learn more. But I'm really hoping that with time, these people that, that may make these nasty comments can learn from their mistakes, you know, mm. in a positive way. Yeah, but that it's also not necessarily your responsibility to teach everyone individually either because you have a life to lead as well. Totally, especially if they're not going to reciprocate it because if, mm. I get, if I get from the beginning that they're just trying to just like add their two bits and it's not really productive at all, there's no point in having a conversation. Yeah, couldn't be more true, especially during times like this. Well, and I'm wondering also, you know, this idea of prejudice or, um, you know, being confronted about your condition. Have you had experiences of prejudice or perhaps privilege in the healthcare system, particularly as it regards the way you present? I mean, you're a person of color. Can you see your circumstances maybe having been different in the healthcare system if you presented otherwise? Maybe if you'd shown up as a white man or as a female with this diagnosis? Well, to be to to that's and so I'm so happy you asked that you asked that question because I always took prep 
I was always taking prep, even when I was laid off from work in 2015, I was trying to access prep at the time. And uh, unfortunately, the Los Angeles LGBT Center started to sort of like blacklist me from accessing some of the prep because I didn't no. have. Um, yeah, they did. I was I was trying to access um, Medicaid, Medi-Cal. Um, and then I remember there was some administrative error on their part. So I had to wait a little longer to get prep. I still had some of my prep saved, but I remember going to the center and almost just telling them like, hey, I don't have prep. I've been exposed to HIV. I would sort of tell them that because it was protocol for them to put me on what's called PEP, where I'm taking mm-hmm. um, Discovy and Tivica. And really the, the medicine that I'm taking right now is Discovy and Tivica because I have HIV, mm-hmm. except that when they would give me both bottles, I would only take Discovy because Discovy is the blue pill, which is called PrEP. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point they were like, you're being very reckless. We're not going to give you any more. And in my wow, mind, so they thinking, judged you. They judged me. They called me reckless. And I felt like telling her I'm only reckless in my Givenchy dress, girl. Like, <laughs> it, it's, it, you have it's to quote B- Beyonce on B-Day. <laughs> it's B-Day. We got to reference. We got to reference one of her lines. We do. We got to reference the queen. So when they when they said I was being reckless, I was like, the irony here is I'm really just trying to advocate for my health. Um, yeah. And, and then I felt really sad later on to realize that they weren't recommending me to the Gilead Medical Assistance Program, which mm. is a program that Gilead, the pharmaceutical for PrEP, gives people. So basically that program, the Gilead Medical Assistance Program, helps people get free PrEP while in the meantime they're waiting for their medical or their insurance to kick in which is what they should have done for me rather than call me reckless and so, so i cannot believe that the lgbt center in la judged you and then prevented you from getting life-saving medication oh my goodness it's it's wild right it's the it's yeah. the biggest lgbt center in the world and yeah. I, I hope that now they're learning from their mistakes i remember having this interview with pause magazine a few like a few, like a few years ago about it too and mm. they were just as shocked and i'm really glad that they put that out there because pause magazine does get to the lgbt center especially their health department and so i hope that people read this and understand that it's that they should learn from their mistakes you know that they should as case managers or 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 folks linking people to care they need to do a better job at figuring out what their needs are meeting the clients where they're at coming from a place that's not shameful and finding resources to help them Absolutely. Well, it's amazing to me that a health center decided not to do their job, essentially. I mean, to me, that seems sort of like there's some kind of legal loophole there, too. Like, there's got to be something illegal about denying someone care like that. Totally. And I'm pretty sure there's now a statute of limitation. I mean, otherwise, I'd probably jump in and open up my law school books and see, like, what can I do? What can I do? But it really does give me that incentive to also advocate for folks in the future if I ever want to go, if I ever want to pursue a career in health law, you know, like in in any kind of advocacy work. I'm still learning what I want to do, you know, professionally, but there's so much that you can do in health law as an advocate, as a legal advocate. So I'm really excited. And I, and I learned from my past to like, and share that, you know, and, and trying to using that as, as, uh, as a tool, you know, so. Absolutely. I mean, would you say that some of these inequities in the healthcare system, be they a prejudgment that maybe an individual or a group of people um, enacts and, and sort of uses as a weapon against patients, um, particularly if it's based on racial or, or gender issues, would you say that that in and of itself is a public health crisis? I would say, yeah, great point. Mm-hmm. I would say that's definitely a public health crisis because there have been articles that are, have, and with studies linked to these articles showing that um, 
well, white gay men tend to be on, on PrEP and, and other forms of advocacy much faster than their counterparts, black and brown queer men. And that's because we get, we're hypersexualized. And, and, and I think that, that that bias in the medical field is not new. That's actually mm. one of the things that we need to start talking about in the legal field too, is like the, the racial bias in, in the health field, which is really important. It's something that I'm still learning about. And a few colleagues at the law school and I are trying to even start a health law society at our campus where we're also talking about these issues because these are the issues that we need, we need to start talking about at the law school so that we become better legal representatives for, for our clients. Absolutely. And, um, and for yourselves. <laughs> for ourselves, totally. And so, but to answer your question, those are, I, I even have like a, my first article with the body talks about my lack of access to prep. It was an uh, op-ed. Um, we'll and, have to link to that on the episode page for this this episode. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, because yeah. I include a lot of like studies there that show that there is a racial bias um, in the healthcare, especially around HIV. And so mm. I just don't have the, 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 the stats in the top of my head, but they're in the article that I wrote. Well, absolutely. We'll link to that so everyone can check that out. I'm wondering if you could talk to us more about your advocacy work. I mean, obviously, you're creating inroads through your law school um, and seems like you've been an advocate for yourself and for others almost since day one of diagnosis. So I would love for you to talk to us about your advocacy work and how you have turned your own experience into something that you're able to learn from continually and able to help others with. For sure. So I'm currently... um an ambassador for the CDC's HIV program called Let's Stop HIV Together. Um, this is their fourth cohort. I started my, my work in November of last year, and we're about to wrap it up right now in September. So it's, it's been like, a, it's, it's, it's almost a year-long program, and they choose advocates from different parts of the country. So there's folks in Puerto Rico. I'm in New Orleans, Los Angeles area, SoCal, San Diego area. Um, the East Coast, Midwest, uh, Atlanta. So we have folks from different parts, especially in areas where HIV rates are higher. Mm. And so um, from last I checked, I know that Baton Rouge and um, New Orleans were some of the higher, um, were some of the cities with the higher HIV rates, especially Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge mm. used to be number one for a while, and I think they're now number two. Oh, wow. But um yeah, two or three. Um, I definitely need to check my stats again, but definitely in, in the top five area. Um, and so they, 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 they intentionally made this program four years ago running now um, to sort of address these needs and, and sort of have us be sort of like advocates for our city, kind of like an ambassador to talk about this. Yeah. Um, the work kind of got a little muddled um, when COVID hit because we couldn't really do direct service or anything. Of but I definitely did share some resources, especially when Mardi Gras happened and I linked up with other orgs in the area. And then soon after I started to get creative with what I could do during my time as, in, as, as, a, as, as someone part of this internship. And I started to do a lot of like legal advocacy work with, with these um, decrim um, attorneys that are that are trying to change the statute in Louisiana. That's amazing. So you're working with the CDC, but you're you also are doing a lot of your own advocacy through your legal work, not only in the HIV community but also beyond. Can you talk to us about that too? For sure. So, um, just as an example, I'm working with this organization called 
Zero Project, and that's Zero with an S, S-E-R-O Project. And they do a great job at sort of mapping out who is where in the country in terms of like uh, prisons based on, uh, on a crime that they've committed related to HIV. And so uh, I am sort of linking up with them, with this amazing person named Cindy, um, and I'm working with her to sort of like um, connect. There, there's a few projects that we have in, in, that we have going on. One of them, though, would be to like write holiday cards to folks that are currently incarcerated. Oh, that's and, nice. And I'm and I'm linking that with with um, this position that I'm that I'm holding with the National Lawyers Guild, and we have a chapter with them at our law school, and so. Um, we're sort of building that program so that we can continue that relationship with Zero Project and, and let other law students be mindful of the fact that there are people incarcerated for HIV crimes. Mm -hmm. And let's write them like a letter or a little card during the holidays to let them know that we're thinking about them, you know, things yeah. like that. That's wonderful. And I mean, you've obviously been someone who has been well-versed in experiences of the healthcare system here. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I'm sure that there may be limitations on what you can say, given that you're working with the CDC at the moment, but I'm wondering, given your experience, in what way the healthcare system here in the U.S. is working for patients, particularly in the field of HIV, and in what ways it might be falling short and requiring improvement? I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, because especially yeah, in the pandemic. It's loaded, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think I'll, I'll definitely start right now with um, the pandemic that we're going through. Um, we are, what, six million cases now in this country and leading it, which is really, really unfortunate because we're supposed to be... We're, so, we, we, we're supposed to be sort of like a, 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 a leader sometimes in, in, yeah. in many cases. But in that healthcare. Doesn't to, the, whole, in health the whole privatization of healthcare and capitalist involvement in healthcare is supposed to mean that we get the best there is. And yet we have more people dying from COVID than anywhere else. Yeah. And then I think about countries like Cuba who don't have much, but they're out there flying to Italy, flying to other countries to, to, to help, you know, because mm. they have it locked down. And so um, it just, it just kind of baffles me a little with what, what this is, you know, this is, um, there's so much to be said about the fact that we even need the CDC right now to try and stop evictions um, in the first place. Why we, why we even need evictions in the first place during mm. a pandemic is, is beyond me because yeah. we, we see that being homeless is one of the, is one of the, re, is one of the factors in, in which people can become, you know, HIV positive or, or may fall into other situations and such. And then you realize how housing is so important to public health concerns. Um, and then we think about what's happening in these detention centers and, and how children are still being put in cages and people are, 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 are dying from COVID. Um, it, it's all so much to really to take, to take on at the moment that, uh, I, and that's only starting um, within COVID. You know, like I'm literally just putting, dropping the pin there and trying to figure out what can, how, how the pieces kind of connect together, you know? Mm. I mean, it sounds to me like a lot of the issue there is all about money, right? That like, when you really follow the trail of like why the evictions are happening and why people are being held at the border and stuff, it's because of private interest, right? That like, mm -hmm. if we were to actually heal ourselves and focus on healthcare as a human right, and maybe help some people who were not helping during COVID, maybe it would be about removing that private interest in some way, right?
Right. Yeah, exactly. Like if we really would advocate more for people over property or interests, that would be that would be a better situation. Yeah. That would be a better situation for us during these difficult times. But because I the- feel like we were just caught with our pants down with this pandemic. Yeah. No one was ready for that. Well, in many ways, it seems to me like we weren't caught with our pants down. Like, I mean, this is obviously my opinion, but like, um, you know, it seems like we could have been way better prepared because we saw it coming. Right. You know, it's just that the messaging from up on high has been a little bit um, muddy, if you will. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, Mm. for real. It's just it's it's really a lot to to handle overall and now right now that we're trying to start a health law society on campus the irony is that we're trying to start it during a pandemic while everything is remote but i i hope that this that if we get one positive thing out of this tragedy it's that people start to see a need to step up and not to be so comfortable in their like netflix bubble and their like Mm -hmm. amazon bubble you know what i mean like step out and figure out what you can do that can really make a change and it doesn't have to be like big and it doesn't have to be about about uh, individualism it has to be about collectivism you know all of us together yes absolutely i mean that said it sounds like the experience that you had being diagnosed and going through the system with a caseworker um, was really positive that you were handed resources from the beginning that empowered you. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm. That, 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 the, the, the case manager at magnet in San Francisco in the Castro area, that, that person, um, I'm not going to say his name because I don't know if they're okay with it, but that person was such a, such a great, great advocate for me that I I think about them a lot, you know, from Mm. time to time. Yeah, I think it's really wonderful. So I was wondering if you could help us with some tips here for people who are tuning into the episode. I've got a couple of top three lists. And my first one is your top three tips for someone who maybe they suspect that they are about to be diagnosed. Maybe they've been recently diagnosed with HIV or have been undetectable for a while. What would your top three tips be for someone who, like you, is living with an invisible diagnosis and navigating the healthcare system? Mm. I would say link up with, with, with like have like a, 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 a team on your side. I think that like, a, you know, friends, family, a case manager, a therapist, if, if there's access to that is really, really important. Start making, start, start forming your team and start figuring out what each team player is doing and, and all, and just kind of like really like hone in on, on, on how that what are the results for that and what 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 we can do what we can do to sort of work together right to sort of like um for for your own health right Mm -hmm. so like kind of figuring getting your team together and then the second tip i would say is um definitely do research that if there's so many especially now on social media there's so many like outlets If, if, if someone has lupus for example there's some great um podcasts or some great like platforms on Instagram um, articles uh, that people can read for example there's um, health remedy health remedy media I believe Mm. which is under the umbrella for the body Um, they health remedy health media remedy um, I'm butchering the name right now but that it's okay we'll look it up and we'll link to it on the the web page for the episode as well sweet that 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 um, publication is sort of the umbrella for other um chronic you know for other invisible um oh it's remedy health media thank you yes awesome so it is remedy there we health go. media remedy health media yeah. 
and so people can like access that and then there's they're gonna have um, different articles that they can read about whether it's about lupus or like kidney um issues or or other form other other medical forms you know that that people may be going through that they need that they would like some more information for you know um Mm. that's a really great platform to check out as well that's wonderful and what about a third tip for people a third tip would be to find the joy in in something every day Mm. like whether it's lip singing to your favorite song it might be beyonce <laughs> in this case it's gonna be beyonce today yes. it's b-day <laughs> it's b-day yeah um, so so really trying to find the joy in something every day some days it may not be easy because some days people we, we we're going through different things um especially right now right and when we read the news it's not any better but try and find the joy in something at least one day and try and, and and I know that this may be a little cheesy or whatever but it's such a beautiful affirmation because mm-hmm. an affirmation is like is like the antidote to a negative thought you know so yeah. you want to like think about what makes you happy what you're grateful for or what brings you joy and just do something be silly and get out of your 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 shell and just and just really enjoy your life and enjoy your humanity, you know, I would definitely Mm. say that that's the third part that's really important. Well, following on from that, my other top three list is about the things that give you joy. And I would love for you to share what you you turn to when you need that moment of joy or inspiration. Um, I mean, it can be a guilty pleasure, a secret indulgence, maybe a comfort activity, but it can also just be the stuff that inspires you. Where do you turn when you need to be lit up? Um, I definitely listen to music. I love Mm. to listen to music. I love to act silly. I like to just like, 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 you know, just kind of like scream in my room and just dance and just do stuff. <laughs> Sometimes my housemates are like thinking like, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, kind of like just releasing a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, I love doing yoga. I love, um, I love swimming. I love doing a lot of things that just bring me joy. And um, so it sounds like bike. connecting to your physicality and your true self is part of that for you. Oh, most definitely. Like biking, even I love, and I love biking in New Orleans. It's one of the, mm. it's one of the most beautiful experiences that I have had. I just put on some music, um, and just go on a nice little bike ride or a little run, and I'll come back feeling way better. Actually, that's what I do when I'm having a bad day. Is I'll go for a quick run too. Yeah. And the music and 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 the physicalness of it is what really brings me back to my to my core. That's really lovely. So what is your ask for listeners today? What can they do to support you and your community in the work that you do? I'm asking them to please go onto thebody.com mm-hmm. and to check out some articles that they'd like. Just there's so much out there. We have some incredible new writers like Gigi Angler. She is a sex therapist and she talks about like the sexuality in such an eloquent way such an educational mm. way that i just really encourage people to check out her writing um see what else is out there i myself write a lot about um immigration and how immigration is a public health concern because that's one yes. of my topics and and what i'm doing as, as a law student and so um but there's so many other conversations in the body that people will find their niche and i just ask that they that they take some time to check out the site online That's wonderful. And what's next for you in your advocacy and your wellness journey? I mean, it sounds like you're starting this society at law school. You're going to graduate from law school and become an attorney. Tell us about what the future holds for Julie. I'm hoping that um, once I'm just, you know, I don't know. I'm hoping that maybe one day 
I'm, I find um, I meet a partner. Maybe I'll end up in D.C. sometime and mm. I'll be at a cafe and he'll be across this, the room. And <laughs> a classic, <laughs> like that, a classic like meet cute. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I don't know really what the future holds for me, but it would be nice to like meet someone that that compliments me and that, and that I'm inspired by, you know, that that would be nice mm. later on. I'm a Pisces, so I'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic. So oh my God, no day. wonder. We get along so well. Yes, <laughs> I totally get it. I'm, I'm all fire. I'm a Leo, and I have very oh. few Pisces friends, but when I meet a good Pisces, I know it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that that's, that's probably what, what I'd love in the future later on, you know? Absolutely. Well, Julie, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Can you tell everyone where they can also remind them where they can find you and your work? I know they can find you by searching for you on thebody.com, but where else can they find you if they want to connect with you and engage uh, over social or any other platform? That's something, yeah, definitely. They can, they can reach out through Twitter or Instagram mm-hmm. and both handles are Prince of Viana. Love and that's, it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything else that you'd like to share today with everyone tuning in? No, just to please be safe, wear a mask, practice physical distance, get tested for COVID. And, and we're going to get all, we're going to get through this soon all together. Well, thank you so much for your positivity and your, your beautiful energy for taking us on this journey with you today. I'm really honored to be connected with such a wonderful advocate and I hope we'll be able to continue to collaborate and uh, have these wonderful deep discussions because it means so much to me. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to one day, like meeting you over coffee on Venice. Yes. And just like having a little nice walk. That would be really lovely. Or I'll meet you in the French quarter. I love New Orleans. (laughs) It'll be be one or the other, babe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.